Okay, so we are continuing in the Gospel of John. We are in week three of the Eternal Word series, and we're going to be in John for quite a while. And so it's going to be Eternal Word week three, Eternal Word week 45, Eternal Word week whatever. Um, but just, uh, it's God's Word, and it's, it's looking at the life of Christ. We're looking at the Eternal Word. We're looking at the life of Christ and seeing who He is and who He who He who he demonstrated God to be as, as he is God in the flesh, walking the earth. And, and we looked at that last time. If you remember last, last week or two weeks ago, we, we talked about how Jesus exegetes God. And the word exegete is the word that is used to describe biblical interpretation. It's the, it's the, it's the skill of biblical interpretation ex, to exegete. And so Jesus explains, to exegete means to explain and to interpret, Jesus explains God. And so we talked about how that if, if, if our view of God, if our view of God is not one of love and compassion, that's what we, we talked about, how Jesus demonstrated love and compassion, then we are falling way short of our understanding of who God is. So Christ demonstrates who God is. And so this, this morning we're going to look at John the Baptist. There's, there's a couple other sections in, in the Gospel of John that talk about John the Baptist. But this is the first introduction to John the Baptist in the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at his testimony, the testimony of John the Baptist. And so before we jump in, before we, we introduce it and jump in, would you go with me in prayer? Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege of gathering together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do not count it... Um, as anything small and insignificant, but we count it as so significant to be able to open your word and to hear from you, not from a man, but to hear from your word as we read it and explain it and teach it. And God, I just pray that you would help all of us here today, Lord, to receive what it is that you would speak to us, help us to become more like Christ through the teaching of your word. And I pray this morning, God, that you would help me this morning to open my mouth to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you, have you ever had to testify in court? Any of you had to testify in court? So what is, a, what is a, somebody who testifies, what do they do? They, they are testifying about a situation, a circumstance that happened, a, 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 a person. They're testifying about a person. My, my son Joel may have almost had to testify in court last night at Chick-fil-A. He comes home and tells a story. He says, Dad, something crazy happened. He said, I'm at Chick-fil-A and a guy walks up and says, hey, can I pass this direction and go over here? And he was at the drive-thru and Joel's like, um, sure. He said, you mean, do you need your food? You said, no, i got to shoot straight with you. i got a warrant out for my arrest, and there's some officers that are over there, and I'm trying to get this, go this direction. I was like, what would you tell him, Joel? He said, yes, you can go. Good job. <laughs> Good job. Do not confront. Do not, do not yell. <laughs> I don't want my son testifying in court um, about anything. Just, just, just go. He aided and abetted a criminal, but that's okay. <laughs> I had to testify in court one time. I testified in court. And what do you do when you testify in court? You, you, raise your, you raise your right hand, place your hand on the Bible. You solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help you, God. And I remember sitting in the, in the courtroom, and I remember the pressure of, of the moment 
of looking at the court and I knew I had to testify to a, a situation that I had seen and I had heard and I, and I knew about. And I remember the weight of that moment that rested on me. I was about to testify and I had to tell the, tell the truth. And I remember the judge looked at me and this was like a, more than a decade ago. And he looked at me and he thought I was 16 years old. And so I had to tell him my age, and he just was like, kept, kept, just kept shaking his head. But in this section, John the Baptist, in essence, raises his right hand. Doesn't place his hand on the Bible, but he raises his right hand, and he's testifying to the truth of all truths. He's testifying to who Christ is. And there's really two parts of his testimony. He's going to testify to who he is as John the Baptist, but, but who Christ is. And so we're going to look at the testimony of John the Baptist, but just... By way of introduction, John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. Do you remember the story of John the Baptist being born? Elizabeth and Zechariah. Um, Elizabeth, his mother, was barren. Zechariah goes into the temple. He was a priest and he was praying before the Lord that God would give them a son. And the angel comes and speaks to him and says, you, your, your wife will become pregnant. Zechariah becomes mute because he doesn't believe the word of the Lord. He cannot speak. But, but scripture also talks about how whenever Elizabeth was pregnant and she went to visit Mary and Mary was pregnant with Jesus, it says that, 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 that John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb and was filled with the Holy Spirit even while he was in his mother's womb. Look at, look at Luke 1, 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. But, but John the Baptist was as well. And then Zechariah after John is born, Zechariah is mute, and, and he knew he was to call, the angels confirmed him to call the baby John. And so the baby's born, and he's able to write on a tablet that he's to be called John, and then God loosens his tongue, and, and Zechariah prophesies about the purpose of his son. Look at Luke 1, 76 through 79. And you, child, speaking of his child, John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, speaking of Christ, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. John the Baptist was called to be a forerunner to prepare the way for Christ to come. And so it's interesting also that Jesus declared concerning John. Jesus said this concerning John. He said that, John, that of those born from women, none was greater than John the Baptist. So we don't just have a lowly person giving a testimony about who Christ is. We have a, a great one. We have one that, that even Jesus testified and said, this is the great one. Of, of all those that are born of women, there's none greater than John. So this is a man of influence and of power and notoriety. Many crowds were following him. And he was preaching a message of repentance and baptism. And he's raising his hand here today in the Gospel of John. And we're going to see his testimony. And these, this testimony, it spans over the course of three days. And you're going to see that. I'm going to show you how it spans over the course of three days. That he, we see this testimony of John the Baptist concerning who he is but who Christ is. So, so, so what is this great one's testimony. What is it that John says about himself? And what is it that John says about Jesus? Three realities of John the Baptist's testimony given over the span of three days. The first one would be this. 
The first thing we see is this. We see a voice crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. Let's look at the first portion of the text to see this. John 1, starting in verse 19. It says, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and he did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, well, then who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? So it's interesting, the Pharisees sent a group of priests and Levites to question John the Baptist. And they were questioning John the Baptist because John the Baptist was drawing large crowds. People were following him. And so the prophetic voice had gone silent. If you remember in the Old Testament, the the prophet Malachi, he finished his prophecy. And there was 400 years of silence. And John was the next prophet to speak forth the word of the Lord. And he breaks through and he speaks with passion and with boldness. And he had, he had uh, camel hair for his clothes and he had, his hair was wild and crazy and he ate locusts and wild honey. And, and he spoke of repentance and baptism and that the Messiah was coming. And he drew large crowds. And John came with a singular message. One message. He had one message. A one a one-message preacher. Wouldn't that be nice if there's just, you know, one-message preacher? I say it once and we're done. He had a one-message preacher. He was a one-message preacher. And this was his message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. Repent and be baptized. It's here. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. That's what he came to preach. And he was not, he was not normal. He didn't fit into the norms. And he didn't look normal. And people followed him and crowds came after him. And so these people were sent from the Pharisees. These priests and these Levites came from the Pharisees and they, they, they wanted to know. They wanted to know, who are you? So they asked the question, are you Elijah? And so what does John say? He says, no, I'm not Elijah. Why would they ask, are you Elijah? Why would these priests want to know, these Pharisees want to know that John is Elijah or not? Well, because of Malachi. Chapter 4, there's a prophecy said that Elijah would return to prepare the way of the Messiah. But if you remember in Luke chapter 1, in Luke chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, the angel speaks to Zechariah. When Zechariah didn't believe the word of the angel, he speaks and prophesies concerning his son John and says this. He says this, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord of people prepared. So John's saying, no, I'm not Elijah, but the word of the Lord had come and said that he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way for the Lord. So are you Elijah, John? No, I'm, I'm not. What about the next question? Are you the prophet? What does John say? No. Well, why were they wondering this? Well, in Deuteronomy 18, it speaks to the great prophet who was to come that would be a greater Moses that would speak for God as Moses did. And this is speaking of the Messiah. Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the one that would speak for Moses, that would speak 
for God as Moses did who would mediate for the people. Are you the great prophet? And he says, no. John, John is saying, no, I'm not. I am, I am not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not the Christ. Forgot to tell you the title of my message. The title of my message, in essence, is what John says. He says, I'm not the one. I am not the one. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. I am not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. Well, who does John say that he is? John lets this group know who he is. It's important to know who you are, right? To know what your purpose is, know what your calling is. He sees himself as the fulfillment of the prophecy given by Isaiah over 700 years before the birth of Christ. And what was that prophecy? Isaiah 43, verse 3, says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He says, this is who I am. I'm a voice. John knows his place. He sees himself as a voice that points to someone greater. He says, I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. He says, I'm just a voice. I'm a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. The Messiah is coming. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He knows who he is. He knows he's not the one. I'm not the one. But he wants to use his voice to point to the one. To point to the one. Listen to the imagery John used to describe the one he is pointing to. I love this imagery. It says this in John 1, a part of our text here, the next two verses Verse 26, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Listen to how John describes him. You know what's interesting? He describes himself as, he says, I'm not worthy to unstrap the strap, to untie the strap of the sandal of this one, of the Messiah. It was common in that day that the lowest of the lowest slaves, that when the master would come into the room, that they would untie the straps of the sandal for the, for the master. John is looking at these messengers that are coming from the Pharisees. They want to know who he is. Are you the one? Should, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? He says, he says no, I'm, I'm not the one. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not the Messiah. He says, I'll tell you who, who I am. I'm, I'm a voice. I'm a voice pointing to the one, and the one is so greater than anyone else in all of creation that I am even lower than the lowest of all slaves. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. That's who I am. Wow. What a powerful picture that John is painting here. John the Baptist is saying, I'm not even on the same level of a common slave if you want to know who who I am. I know you're looking at the crowds. I know you see all these people following me, but I want you to know that I know where my place is. And I'm here to point to one that is so much more worthy and that I am not worthy to untie the sandals of the one who comes after me. You know why the Pharisees wanted to know who he was? I believe the Pharisees wanted to know who he was because they saw John the Baptist as a threat to their power. How do I know that? Well, what happened when Jesus came? They saw Jesus as a threat to their power. John was just another threat to their power. And so the Pharisees sent the, scribes, the, the Levites and the priests to go, to, to go and say, hey, check out who this guy is. Because there's a lot of people following him and listening to him. And he's baptizing people. 
He's preaching repentance. He's preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They wanted to check out, do we need to be worried about this guy and his authority and his power? But John the Baptist was not there to take power. He wasn't there to create his own kingdom. What did he say? He said, I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not the Messiah. He said, I'm not worthy to untie the sandals of the one that is coming after me. He knew who he was. And he knew his place. He was not the one, but he was a voice that was to point to the one. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Do you know your purpose? This is what I would say. I would say that the life of John the Baptist This voice that's crying out in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. That that call is a great example for us. How often do we get in the way of others seeing Christ? You know, if we're not careful, we can posture ourselves like the Pharisees who hindered people from seeing Jesus. We can posture ourselves in a a place where, where people... People can only really see us, but they, 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 they can't see Christ because we are hindering them from seeing Christ because we want them to see us. We want them to hear our message. But John came and he said, no, no, no. The only message I want you to hear from me is not about me. It's not about my kingdom. It's not really even about my words, but it's about the Christ. It's about the one that is coming. The kingdom is at hand. And it is such a great call for us to Be reminded as disciples of Christ, we have the call that John the Baptist had, which is to say, hey, look, don't look at me. Don't look to me. Look past me. Look beyond me. Look to the one that I represent. Look to the Christ that I represent. I am a a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am not the one. You can follow me as I follow Christ, as I follow his example. We are called to follow the example of John the Baptist. And here's what I'll say. May, may we be a voice that points to the one who has all power instead of living a life trying to hold on to our own. This was the Pharisees. They were living a life trying to hold on to their own power. And John the Baptist comes on the scene and he's testifying to who he is. He says, I'm not here for my own power. I'm not here for my own glory. I'm here for the glory of the one that I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. He's mightier than I. He's greater than I. He is the Messiah. He is the king of the universe. The kingdom of God is at hand. And this is our call. That people would see Christ through us. That we would be heralds to make way for the Lord in the lives of people. People need Jesus. It's a wilderness out there, is it not? It's a wilderness. We're called to make a way in the wilderness. It is a dry land that we live in all around us. It is a wilderness. The world is full of sin and pain and suffering and hurt. And the world needs Jesus. They need the one. May we get out of the way as quickly as possible. As John the Baptist did, he said, no, I am not the one. But I know where the one is and he is here. The Messiah has come. Look to Christ. May we embrace that call. As John testified about himself, may we testify about ourself, that it's not me, but it's him. So we see how John the Baptist saw himself. What does John say about Jesus? Day one ends. That's day one. John testified about himself. I'm not Elijah, not the prophet, not the Messiah. 
I'm lower than a slave. That's who I am. I'm just a voice. Day one, over. On to the next day. Look at the text. What does John say about Jesus? The next day. The next day. He saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So what does John testify about Christ? Secondly, behold the Lamb of God who takes away sin. Wow, what a testimony. It's so powerful, so powerful. John looks and he sees Jesus coming toward him and he exclaims, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. I don't think John was saying, behold, the Lamb of God. In some holy hushed moment, he saw Jesus coming to him and he knew, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. The Lamb lamb. Israel would have known much about lambs. Would they not have known much about lambs and sacrifices? Why is it that John describes Jesus as the lamb of God? Israel would have known a lot about lambs. And you can follow this pattern all through scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation. The lamb sacrifice and the lamb being sacrificed. And, and, And you see even in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned and they were naked and they knew They were naked. They were filled with shame. What did God do? He covered their nakedness and their shame with the skins of animals. Adam and Eve took the fruit of the ground and fig leaves and covered themselves. But God said, no, it's it's a lamb. It's a sacrifice. Skins of animals. What about Cain and what about Cain and Abel? Not long after. Cain brings the fruit of the ground and offers it in worship to the Lord. and, And Abel Abel brings the better sacrifice. He offers the firstborn of his flock to the Lord. Leviticus 17 says that life is in the the blood. Sacrifice, lamb. Hebrews 9, 22 says this. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The nation of Israel would have known much about lambs and about sacrifices. So when John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God, this is the imagery that would have come up in the minds of those that were listening to John proclaiming the lamb of God is here. Every year, the nation of Israel would celebrate the feast of Passover. What did the feast of Passover represent? It it represented the fact that the death, when the death angel came over Egypt, that The nation of Israel would take the lamb, a lamb, they'd sacrifice the lamb, they'd put blood over the doorposts and they would eat, they'd eat the lamb and then when the death angel came over, the death angel passed over all the homes of the people of God and their, the firstborn sons were spared. And so every year the nation of Israel would celebrate the feast of Passover. And so during the week of Passover, it was a week long celebration, a week long festival to celebrate God's provision of sacrifice And during that week, 20,000 lambs a day were sacrificed. There's over 2 million people, Jews, would would migrate to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. Over 2 million Jews. 
And there had to be one lamb per family that would be sacrificed. 20,000 lambs a day were sacrificed. Over 250,000 per week. They knew when John said, the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And why, why did they understand? Well, because here's another reason. Every year, two lambs a day were sacrificed in the temple for the sins of the nation of Israel. Every year, two lambs to cover the sins of the nation of Israel. So when John says, behold, the lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world. He is declaring the most powerful truth and reality of why Christ came. The kingdom of God is at hand. The lamb is here. From Genesis to Revelation, we see this emphasis on lambs for sacrifice and the lamb of God. In Genesis 22, God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And Isaac and Abraham are walking up the mountain. And Isaac's holding, holding the wood. And Isaac looks at Abraham and says, we got the wood for the sacrifice, but where is the Lamb for the sacrifice. You see, in all four Gospels, it could be said that the summary would be for all four Gospels, behold the Lamb. So you have in Genesis, you have in the Gospels, behold the Lamb. And then you have in Revelation, Genesis to Revelation. You see, in Revelation 5, the heavenly choir sings what? Worthy is the, worthy is the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. One commentary says this concerning the sacrificial system of ancient Israel. Those lambs were brought by by men to men. But here is God's lamb given by God to men. Those lambs could not take away sin. But the lamb of God can take away sin. Those lambs were for Israel alone. But this lamb would shed his blood for the whole world. Behold the lamb of God. Of God. What is John's testimony concerning Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John testifies. We see in Hebrews 10, listen, listen to what the Lamb of God did through his sacrifice. It says this, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices daily and yearly. Feast of Passover, sacrifice after sacrifice, which can never take away sin. But when Christ, the Lamb of God, had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. A single sacrifice for sins. Why did Christ come? Why did Christ come? He came to be a single sacrifice offering for sin. And when John testifies about who Jesus is, the first thing he says out of his mouth, the first prophet speaking after 400 years of silence, when the Messiah shows up on the scene, what does he say? Does he say, hey, behold a good teacher. Behold a great moral man that you'd follow the pattern of his life. Behold a great prophet who came to speak for God. No, what what does he say? How does he introduce Jesus? Behold a great leader. No, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The single sacrifice that will take away the sins of the world. No more need for repeated sacrifices for the nation of Israel. The Lamb of God is here. 
the Lamb of God. Did, did you know also look at Revelations 3? This is all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. This Lamb that John is pointing to, this Lamb of God, he was, the, he was slain before the foundations of the world. This Lamb is the eternal God come to be the single sacrifice for sins. Amen? Behold the Lamb of God, slain from the creation of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, the once for all time sacrifice for sins. Through this one time sufficient sacrifice, all who believe by faith can have their sins taken away. Have you had your sins taken away here today? Have you had your sins taken away here today? Are you still living under the weight of the guilt of your past sins? Or have they been taken away? There's only one way that your sins can be taken away. It's through the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Behold. So if you're here today, you have not beheld the lamb of God. And you've been looking to other means and ways to atone for your sins. I would tell you here today, as a voice crying out in the world here today, I will tell you, behold the Lamb of God who takes away sins. Who takes away your sins and my sins. uh, All who place their faith in the work of the cross. Behold the Lamb of God. As Jesus is walking towards John, he boldly declares, behold the lamb. John the Baptist is saying, look at him. Look to him, Israel. Look to Christ, Pharisees, Levites, scribes. All those trying to live. Live in ways to earn your righteousness. Look to him. He is the final sacrifice. He's saying, look at him. Don't look to the sacrificial system anymore. Don't look to self-help or self-effort. It's like he's speaking also to Cain. Cain, don't look to the fruit of the ground, the fruit of your works. Don't look anymore to man-made means of atoning for sins. Look at him. Behold the Lamb of God. This is what John testifies concerning Jesus. What else does John the Baptist testify concerning Christ? Look back at the text, John 1. We'll continue on to John's testimony. John 1, 32 through 34, and John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So what does John testify concerning himself he says well i'm not the messiah i'm not the christ i'm not elijah i'm not the prophet i'm just the one pointing to who i'm the one pointing to the lamb who takes away the sins of the world and thirdly behold the lamb look to the lamb who baptizes with the holy spirit this is what the text says here he says at the baptism the lord told john the baptist he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain You see that at the baptism, the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove and rested on Christ. He says, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What is John testifying to here concerning Christ and his baptism with the Holy Spirit? Here's what he's testifying to. 
there's a clear contrast here that John the Baptist is making between his baptism of repentance and water versus the baptism that Jesus will bring. Jesus is going to bring a different type of baptism. Jesus is going to bring a different type of relationship to the Father. Look at what Jesus said in John 14 concerning the Holy Spirit. John 14, Jesus says this, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. John is saying that this Messiah, this Lamb of God, he will baptize people in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus testifies that the Holy Spirit will come and will dwell in you. This is the contrast. John is saying, I've been baptizing with, with water. There's a, this external repentance in water, but there's going to come one after me. The one whom the Holy Spirit has set his seal, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in those who place faith in Christ, who love and obey him. You guys track with me? He's contrasting. This is what Christianity is. This is the difference. This is the Christian reality. Inward transformation versus outward conformity. Jesus baptizes all believers with the Holy Spirit into the family of God. And it makes all the difference in the world. The Holy Spirit now dwells on the inside of us. He lives on the inside of us. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 says. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members for all the members for all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with Christ for in one spirit we were all baptized in one body Jews or Greeks slaves or free and we're all made to drink of one spirit at salvation we are baptized in the spirit and into the family of God and now we have the indwelling power of the spirit that lives on the inside of us The Lamb of God who came to to take away the sins of the world when he died on the cross. And he was resurrected and he ascended. He sent the Holy Spirit to come and to dwell on the inside of all of us. And we will be baptized by the Spirit. John the Baptist is testifying to this gospel reality. That Jesus has met all of the expectations of the law. He's fulfilled all of them. And through his meeting of those expectations now... Now, Christianity is not a religion of of man-made rules and following man-made traditions, but Christianity is a religion of being baptized into the Spirit so that we can now live outward what has happened on the inside. Is that your experience? John is testifying that Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. A new way has been provided to be reconciled to the Father. Not a temporary fix, not a daily sacrifice, not a yearly offering that must be repeated, but the final Lamb of God who made the final sacrifice for sins. And he has provided a way that through through the power of the Spirit, being baptized by the Spirit into the family of God, we can now be transformed from the inside out. From the inside out. So day one, who are you, John? Are you Elijah? What was his answer? You can talk back to me. No. Are you the prophet? Who did John say that he was? Day one. I'm a voice. I'm a voice pointing to the one. 
Day two. What does he say about Jesus now? This is who he is and who he's not. What does he say about Jesus? Day two. He says, I am a voice crying out what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Wow. Now on to day three. Look back at the text. John 1, 35 through 37. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Next day, third day. He's standing. Two of his disciples next to him. He looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So, I want you to think, just think about this. Here's John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a great leader, preached repentance, great crowds followed him. He had, he had disciples. Two of his disciples were standing next to him. So just picture this in your mind. John the Baptist, two disciples. I don't know what they're doing. They could be boiling crawfish. I have no idea. You know, they're watching football, whatever. They're just chilling. They're hanging out. And Jesus walks by. Just imagine Jesus walks by. He looks at his two disciples. Look, the Lamb of God. Look, look, there he is. There he goes. Behold, behold the Lamb of God. Think about that. Picture that. John the Baptist, two of his disciples. Jesus walks by. He looks at his two disciples and says, look, there, there he goes. There's the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God walked past us. Can you imagine that moment? We don't understand it because we don't get it. <laughs> but, but, but whatever, I don't know what they were doing. I wish the text showed us what they were doing. But they were doing something. They were there. John, two disciples. Jesus just walks by. Hey, guys, look, the Lamb of God. What an amazing scene. And he uses the same word that he used in day two. He uses the word behold. What does the word behold mean? This is what it means. It means it gives the meaning of look. This is the one of highest honor. So think about that. Let's go back to our scene. John the Baptist. He's grilling a ribeye. Two disciples are right there watching their master go to town. And they're his disciples. They follow John. They're following him. Jesus walks by. And John turns to two that have been following him and says, look, here's the one of highest honor. Here's one that's greater than me. How often do we, do we not do that, right? We want people to follow us, to, to, to look at us, to see our Instagram page, our Facebook page, right? And, you know, you, you get people in ministry and in leadership, they get a platform and it gets big and it, get, it gets large and you can't even see Christ. But maybe, maybe the most important thing that we can do is those that are following us, we say, hey, look, no, stop looking at me. Behold, look at the one of highest honor. Look at him. Behold the Lamb of God. Okay, let me try to explain it to you one more time. And and this time I think you'll get it. Okay, we're all sitting in here right now. You're listening to me talk and preach. And through those doors right over there, 
walks towards the platform. And the person that walks in is Drew Brees. What would all of you do? You'd be like, gosh, look at them. It's Drew Brees, honey. Or it's Tom Brady. Or it's your favorite actress. Or it's the president of the United States. Or it's whoever. A place of someone of high honor that walks through the door. What do you do? You elbow your spouse. You elbow your, 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 your friend. Have you ever been in a restaurant? You ever been around a famous person? You ever been around a famous person? I mean, I've been around in the presence, in the room of somebody that would be famous. And they walk in and you're just all kind of like in awe. Like, oh my goodness. Look, it's so-and-so. Aren't they amazing? John the Baptist, two of his disciples. Look, look, it's the Lamb of God. Look, behold, it's him. Look at the Lamb of God. And what did the, what did the two disciples do? They said, okay, we're going. We're going, we're, 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 we're going to follow. How powerful was Christ? Two days ago, John was asked who he was. John was the one gaining fame. John was the one drawing large crowds. He was the one that was getting pretty popular. And in one word, John the Baptist looks at two of his followers and says, Stop looking at me and look at the Lamb. That's John's testimony. Behold the Lamb of God. Stop looking at me. I am just a forerunner. I am just a means to Christ's end. I am just a means to Christ's purposes. I am just a means for people to see Christ. And may that be our life. May that be our call. May that be our reality that we are a means to Christ's end. That we can look at those that are in our life, those that are around us in our circles of influence, and we can say, hey, look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look at him. He is the most famous, the most glorious, the one of highest honor. From Genesis to Revelation, God's word is all about beholding the lamb. Would you behold him today? Would you see him today greater than Drew Brees, greater than Tom Brady, greater than the the most famous and wealthy people that this world has? He is the greatest of all people. He is the eternal God, the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. He is the means of salvation for humanity. The Lamb of God. This is John's testimony. From Genesis to Revelation. Behold the Lamb. Revelation 5. Starting in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep. Loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. 
And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. What's the new song? What's the song of the redeemed? What's the song of the saved? Here's the song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Behold the lamb of God. Amen. It's John's testimony, and it is our testimony. (laughs) Hold the Lamb of God. Would you pray with us this morning? Lord Jesus, would you bow your heads? Pray with me. We thank you, Lord, that you came down from heaven. That you walked as and lived as a man. And that you died on the cross to save us from our sin. Without you, Lord, we would be lost. But by accepting you, Lord, as Savior, we can now live a life that glorifies you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to follow you, to overcome the sin in our life. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit helps us, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the world the way that you see the world. Let us love people the way that you love people. Let us see them through your eyes the way that you see them. And God, I pray that you would go with all of us and help all of us to live a life that is worthy of you. You are so good to us, God, and we love you so much. And we give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.